Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. This is a CBC podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Tara. She has myasthenia gravis. Let's talk about it. All right, um, let's jump into a world of rare autoimmune disorder. <laughs> yes, can't wait. Do you uh, actually here we'll we'll do a little like test where before I introduce our, our guest today uh, Tara, not to be confused with Tara. Um, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you guys a quick little a uh, uh, little uh, sort of like a little pop quiz. Cool. Do you guys remember what myasthenia myasthenia gravis is uh, uh, the name you said because I heard you say the name uh, like about ten minutes ago, yeah. and when you said it, my I went. I had one of those. Uh, I had one of those moments where I just went, "Ding!" Like yeah, something. Do you I, remember? I, do you remember anything about it? No, I don't. But Perfect. I remember the name. Great, right? Um, it's uh, when you have a uh, above average ability of of dressing stylish. Oh wow. That's it, folks. Thank you so much, Tara, for joining us today. And we hope you learned something new. And uh, that is Sick Boyfriend. No. And love um, your outfit. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. perfect. Thanks. <laughs> no, not quite. Um, and to be honest with you, I actually don't remember what my of Gravis is. But I do know that we did an episode on it before. Um, mm-hmm. But that is, this is what we are going to be talking about today with Tara. Not to be confused with Tara. Um, and Tara, before we get into the thick of it, uh, please take a moment, introduce yourself to our guests. Give us a little bit of insight into who you are. Yeah, for sure. My name is Tara Lindsley. I live just outside of Calgary in Chestermere, Alberta, and I'm a marketing consultant as well as a podcast host, but like just a little small podcast that we do, um, a friend and I do. So that's super fun. And yeah, I have a son. He's uh, adopted and he was born in South Africa. And then my husband and I are high school sweethearts, which is kind of a rarity Ooh. sometimes. So yeah, pretty fun. So very cool. that's a very little cool. bit about me. That's uh, very Alberta of you to be, uh, to be with your, uh, your, your, your high school sweetheart. I feel like that's kind of like a, that's like a, right. it's yeah. like Alberta and Newfoundland. Those are the two spots where like <laughs> high these school days, sweethearts are still exist. It's just, totally. it's still a thing. It's still I think, a thing. It, I think there's a correlation with like how often you listen to country music songs. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Do you think so? Or small towns. I think yeah. it's small towns. We just yeah. grew up in a small and town. Country music. So. country music, trucks, small towns, all the same. Um, <laughs> I, uh, truck, uh, yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the podcast. The podcast is called Unpacked Podcast for anyone curious. Um, oh, what you. is what is Unpacked all about? Yeah, it's basically we explore uh, the messiness of life and have kind of casual conversations like you do with people and just try to really learn 
and understand how we can grow from like the big messy failures and vulnerable moments in our life. And Mm. then we're really big on storytelling and we also use the Enneagram, which is a personality typing system. So we do both of those. Yeah. So, okay. So I actually, uh, I asked the guys earlier if they knew what an Enneagram was and, and they, they, they weren't aware. I, 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 I feel like I've taken an Enneagram test like okay. I know, when I was in like university or something. But for people who don't know what, what an Enneagram is, can you explain what it is and how does it tie into the podcast? Yeah, for sure. So uh, my friend Evan and I, we worked together previously and then we decided to start this podcast and he uh, got his certificate for, to be an Enneagram coach. So he's like the official coach, but we both have been studying it for a long time. So basically it's a personality typing system that really explores your like motivation behind what you do, not your behavior. So we all can have kind of similar behaviors, but it's really dividing out and there's nine personality types with different motivations. So mine, for example, is I'm an Enneagram type two. I am what they call a helper. So my motivation, we're all trying to earn love, but my motivation is really to earn love through helping. Hmm. And so sometimes my generosity can kind of be masked out of my need for love and connection with people and believing that that's my value. So him and I have done a lot of work around understanding kind of what our motivations are behind. And that's what the the personality tool just helps kind of reveal and then gives Hmm. you some common language in places like in your personal growth, but also in relationships and at work and those kind of things. That's really cool. And then it ties it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it sounds kind of like a, like a purpose-driven Myers-Briggs test. Yeah. Yeah. That is the difference, right? Myers-Briggs is more behavior. And this is more looking at like, okay, what do you, why are you really doing that? And it's mm-hmm. based in like kind of ancient philosophy. So it's been around for a long time. And it's a lot of focus of the data that has come through for the Enneagram is storytelling. So that's kind of the connection for us is we mm. use the Enneagram sometimes to tell our stories in a deeper way and help us find the path to grow from them. Mm. Very cool. Um, yeah. I'd love to dive headfirst into myasthenia gravis. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, I do, I, before we get into what, um, what it sort of looks like and how it manifests in, in people, I do have to say, because I, I do remember now when we had the conversation about myasthenia gravis that there was there was an element of like speech, um, like mm-hmm. like like issues with speech, um, and I just find it so ironic that the name of the disease, which affects your speech, as someone who doesn't have any sort of like speech issues, <laughs> myasthenia is not an easy word to say. Myasthenia. STH? Is yeah. an it's a M Y A S T H E N I A. There's S-T-H a, I feel like there's a hard one. There's a lot of people out there that would, that would, I mean, Brian, Liz. good luck. Say it, Brian. Say it. <laughs> Myasthenia gravis. <laughs> a, you, can, you did a good job. That's you did, but there, there was a little like, um, yeah, I mean, you can tell the effort that I'm putting into <laughs> yeah. it, you know, yeah. like it's like, was not like I just said that casually. You didn't say like myasthenia gravis, but whatever. now I'm emphasizing everything <laughs> I say. So Tara, uh, not to be confused with Tara. Um, what is myasthenia gravis? The simplest answer, and it is the hardest word to say, ironically, but the simplest answer is basically between like your muscles and your nerves are struggling to communicate properly. And it affects areas like your vision, speech, um, chewing, swallowing, and then breathing as well. And then it, myasthenia gravis basically means overall extreme muscle fatigue. 
So it's really delightful, like just a really easy little thing to have. Interesting. So, so like, um, is, is that, is that the, like the, the etymology of of myasthenia gravis is like, it's, it's, it's rooted in, in muscle fatigue is it, or. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the receptor sites between the nerves and the muscles are not communicating properly. That's what your body's attacking is the receptors. So they just can't communicate and talk to each other. So they don't function well. But when you rest for a little bit, it comes back, which is why it's confusing and hard to diagnose. So if I stopped talking for a bit, then when I was symptomatic, my speech would come back. It was super bizarre. So you just stop and then you can like eat and talk and move again. Is it, is it, um, is it an actual, like, is the muscle itself actually fatigued or is it like a signal that's being sent? That's like telling your brain that it doesn't work. Like it, you know, like if you were put under, I don't know if you took like an electrical, uh, if you took some sort of like electrical, uh, signal and sent it to the muscle and like made it work in a way, like, could you get the muscle to work because it's actually the connection to the brain that's being disrupted or is it actually the muscle is fatigued? Yeah, the muscle is like st- extremely fatigued. So it's super, that's one of the ways they, they diagnose it with a blood work. And then they, I can't remember what the uh, test is, but it is like one of those tests where they like put something on your muscle and make your muscle move. And you can just see on the chart, you start up here and you just like, like you can't mm-hmm. move. Like Dr. Yeah, Hose, like make- they use Dr. Hose. Yeah, and then they, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> basically that, that's I'm how familiar. they diagnose it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when when did you take us back to like the the sort of like your your myasthenia gravis um, origin story? Uh, so when, casual. Thanks. Uh, when did, thanks for the acknowledgement that I said it so well there. Um, <laughs> when when did you when did you find out that you had it? And when you found out, what was I mean, was this the first time you've ever heard the term myasthenia gravis? Yeah. So definitely had never heard of it before. But in about twenty. 20- 15 ish, like 2014, 2015, I had my wisdom teeth out, which is a super random thing, but they were just like pulling them out one at a time. They just need to come out, was getting a whole bunch of dental work. And I started to notice like some numbness in my jaw, which is like sort of part of the process. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, you're just healing. So I didn't think a lot of it, but over the span of a year, it was getting worse and I was struggling to like smile. And I would feel like my face was frozen. Like, you know, when you're at the dentist and you leave and you can't move, like that's what was happening to me. And so I just thought it was a dental problem. So I kept exploring like different dentists and TMJ things and trying to figure out like, maybe it's me grinding my teeth. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And it started to get worse and worse and worse to the point where I was struggling to like chew. And then my speech was starting to slur. And again, it was like coming and going. So it was really hard to produce even in front of my doctor. Like, I just felt a bit like insane at times where I was like, oh, maybe it's fine. Maybe it's gone away. Maybe I'm healed. And so I lived for about three years undiagnosed and with no answers and seeing like chiropractors and acupuncture. And like, I just did everything. I tried everything that I could find to try and alleviate some of the pain, which is eventually what it became, was more and more pain. And one of the interesting things about my version of myasthenia, and myasthenia is different for everybody. Um, it's on quite a broad spectrum, but often uh, people get droopy eyelids Mm. and I wasn't, I didn't have any like double vision or droopy eyelids. So that's another just key symptom that you can diagnose with pretty obviously, Mm -hmm. but mine was mostly speech and chewing. So after about Mm. three years, I think it was about 2017. I was like shaking a lot. I was not eating. I could barely, like I was drinking smoothies basically and eating oatmeal and lost a ton of weight. I couldn't, 
talk almost at all. And I'm in marketing, so that's pretty challenging to do your job. Mm. So in that process, I lost my job. I was laid off, not, you know, technically because of that, but clearly that was a factor. Mm -hmm. And in that, I just took that time to just be like, okay, what do I got to do to to figure this out? And because it was so severe at that point, my doctor was just like, let's just try another thing. Like, let's just try another blood work. I think it might be this. We've explored everything else, like neuro wise, like I had the MRIs, everything. And so she just on a whim was like, I think it's this rare thing, but Mm. I don't know. So you had been so, going through for like, for those three years, like trying it, to it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like you were, you were just like, well, I guess like chewing is just hard now. Like you mm. were actively trying to like, you were yeah. trying to figure it out and it was just coming back. Like, is it this? No. Is it this? No. Yeah. And everybody like had a solution. Like everybody would be like, every practitioner was just trying to help, but had a solution like, oh, it's probably this, or it's probably this, or it could be this. So it just felt like I was going in a lot of different directions. Right. And then finally, when my doctor found this blood test and was like, let's try this. I, as soon as that came back, I was in the neuromuscular clinic in Calgary and I was being diagnosed <clears throat> and I was being admitted to hospital because one of the problems that can happen is it affects your breathing. And I was so <sighs> symptomatic for so long that that day that they confirmed with like the Dr. Ho's test, they were also <laughs> like, you're being admitted today and you're not leaving for the next week because you're so at risk a, of having. Wow. So is that issue with the breathing, that potential yes. issue with the breathing? Is that like the, the muscles the, that allow the diaphragm you to gets exhausted or something? Yeah. Your lungs essentially Whoa, it affects yeah, right. your lungs. So wow. you could end up on a ventilator. If you're not yes. paying attention. Yeah, nice. So they were like, hi, you're going to come with us and stay here for the week now. So wow. it's yeah. so crazy. It makes me think of like, like the, the, the challenge of getting diagnosed, like it's particularly with like the, the yeah. speech part, like going into the, the doctor's office. And I, I imagine that like even like longer wait times in the doctor's office, like makes the symptoms sort of go away. Kind of like, it's almost yeah. like you're trying to take, right, take right. like a low battery <laughs> in to get diagnosed as being a low battery, but it's being plugged in to the charger in the waiting room. Yeah. And it's sort of like slowly charging back up and you go into the office and you're like, yeah, the, like these are all the symptoms of the low battery. Look, the red light is on, and then you go to show them, and it, it's actually yeah. charged back up, and it's green. Again. I, I mean, that's that's exactly the, like that. That's a very specific um, uh, example of of kind of sort of what you were going through, Tara. But um, autoimmune diseases in general, like I feel like every single time we've ever talked about autoimmune diseases, or any time I've ever really read up on a story that like features autoimmune disease as like the sort of you know the 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 main focus, it they just inherently seem to be illnesses that are like next to impossible to diagnose without some sort of arduous journey. Um, yeah. and, and actually one, one painful, sto- arduous journey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, one story that comes to mind that like really fucking threw me for a loop, uh, just, just a few weeks ago was the story of this woman, um, who was in a, a state of catatonia for like 14 years or something, or 20 years, yeah, something crazy in the nineties. Yeah. And, um, she had schizophrenia, well, she had schizophrenia, she went catatonic and she was in this state for 20 some odd years. And it wasn't until some physician stepped in who had met her 20 years prior, like met her like 18 years prior, saw her in this catatonic state and, and was like, she's still that way. And he went and he, he took a look and they investigated and they figured out that she had lupus only the lupus was attacking a part of her brain, which is not something that is common with lupus. Lupus typically mm-hmm. attacks parts of the body on like, you know, underneath the blood 
brain barrier. And it was attacking her brain in this way. And so when they started to treat her lupus, she woke up and she came out of this state. And so it's like, what's the, like, what the fuck is the deal with autoimmune diseases that, like, I feel like we've heard it so much that I, you would think that we gotten to a point where, you know, uh, that the doctor who goes, fuck, I don't know. We've tried everything, but like, maybe it's this super rare thing. Myasthenia gravis. I can't even say it right. Let's try and like test you for it. I, I remember, I remember seeing a uh, reading something or, or, or seeing something in a pro in a, in a TV show or something um, that was health related where somebody said something to the effect of, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to the effect of like, we know more about space than mm. we do about the deep ocean. And we know more about the deep ocean than we know about the immune system. Mm. Wow. Intr okay. That is a, yeah. uh, that's a fucking very fascinating statement. It was like, it was basically going, wow. We like, no matter how yeah. many, how, no matter how, how far it seems that we've come with the ability to like treat all manner of illnesses and stuff, mm. we are, we are still like basically blind wow. to how the yeah. immune system functions in general. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, mm -hmm. I, that doesn't surprise me based on, again, the guests that we have had on the show that talk about autoimmune disorders and diseases. Sometimes they come on and they go, I have some sort of autoimmune disease, but we still don't know what it is. And then the other times wow. are like your case here where it's just like, I had this thing and I was living with it for a few fucking years before we figured it out. Um, totally. I, I want to come back to something you said earlier, which was like, at first it was like a numbness or you like, you know, you like the, the feeling in the jaw wasn't pain, but then it transitioned to pain. Yeah. Can you, can you try to like, um, give us some insight into what that, what was that pain like? Like what kind of pain are we talking about? Where did you feel it? You know, could you relate it to yeah. anything that would like help us kind of put ourselves in your shoes? Yeah. Well, it's sort of like, what feels like day to day for me, because the interesting thing when you're talking about autoimmune diseases too, I thought immediately like they don't, pain isn't a symptom of my disease, but I mm. live in pain. Mm. <laughs> so it's a really interesting thing because like you said about all autoimmune diseases, there's so much mystery around it. Yeah. And then to diagnose, they're like, no, these are your symptoms. And that might be a secondary thing, but we don't acknowledge that. So there's nothing that they really do about the pain that I I experienced, which is kind of bizarre, but so it, initially it felt like, um, like a part of me doesn't exist. <laughs> like I don't, it, or like when you've gone to the dentist, it's probably the easiest example right. for people to understand when your mouth is numb like that, it felt like that. And then it feels like after a workout, but you've sort of injured yourself. So your muscle is so, so tired, mm. but you've maybe pulled it. Right. And so it's not a super sharp pain all the time. It's a pretty dull consistent pain when I get to the point of like, I've talked too much in a day and now I'm, my jaw is feeling tired and I need to rest it a little bit. The good news mm. is, is it still does come back, but yeah, that's mostly what it's like. And then nerve pain feels more to me like, um, like fire. Yeah. Like I get really like zappy and it almost feels like burn, like yeah. kind of mm -hmm. burning. So I get kind of twitchy at times and then it feels like it's burning. And that's a pretty, like, that's usually a flare up for me because mm -hmm. when I'm experiencing nerve pain. Sure. Would you not be able to like exercise then? Would that just like so, exacerbate the problem? It, yeah, it's a really funny balance. So right now, because I'm on um, immune suppressants, I'm technically not symptomatic. So I do work out. 
and I have for a long time. So most of my myasthenia affects my upper body. Um, mm-hmm. but so I've been, I can build strength. It's just very slow and it's mm-hmm. very hard. And some days I just have to go with like, okay, I can just do a walk or I can do some weights or, and I have to be in the balance of like, probably people who hit the gym know, like you try to lift really heavy and get to the point where you've exhausted your muscles. If I get too far there, I can hurt myself pretty quickly. Cause I'll mm-hmm. start to not, they won't work. Like mm-hmm. I could just drop a weight or hurt myself like that way. So I kind of go to the point where it's like, Oh, that burns and that's hard. <laughs> and then I back off of it and yeah, then rest it, for a second and then go yeah. again. But so it's I, been like five years of working out to figure that out. <laughs> I guess you're probably right. not able to, um, are you guys getting those uh, those Instagram ads for the uh, Jawser sizers? Yes, the yeah, the little. Yeah. It's like a little rubber ball that you put in your mouth and you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, can you not do that? No, don't need, don't need it. That's such a specific <laughs> question. Yeah. Oh, I was just curious because, like, I've been thinking about getting one. I'm just curious if I'm always fascinated. If you get one, can we share it? Yeah. All right. You sure. know what I'm always fascinated by? <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm I'm fascinated by how how we are obviously we're very different in a lot of ways, but we're also extremely similar in so many ways. Like we spend like we spend like 80% of our time together. Of yeah, our, yeah, of, awake of, time. Our, of our awake time together. Total. And, yeah. Like it's a lot. And yet you get a different Instagram ad that I do. That seems weird. Like, why aren't I getting jaws or size? Well, you will now. You just said the word, you're gonna get <laughs> yeah. it, buddy. Yeah, just it, you watch Bud, Jared. Well, I get yeah, them. yeah, my phone. Wherever it is, it's my coming. phone just heard it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like it's 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 Jawser size um, ads and and uh, tushy ads. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you know what's really fast. You know, what, you know, you know what else is really fascinating. Back to more of like the tushy the uh, bidet, not the porn website. Sorry, I just wanted to sure. make the yeah. You want to make the distinction? Just want to make sure. Tushy um, also clear that up. Website? Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Of course, I guess so. Of course, it is. Jawser size is probably Jawser size is uh, literally literally yeah. say any word that and it's too. a porn. There's site. a big difference between jawsersize.com and jawsersize.org. Let me just say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so, what else is really fascinating to me? Back to the uh, actual topic at hand. Oh yeah, right. Um, about uh, about autoimmune diseases and something that something that it seems uh, something that I uh, I'm glad it left, it left like a really big imprint on my mind of of hearing this. Listen to this episode of I think it was Radio Lab. <clears throat> Uh, I can't remember episode of Radio Lab a long time ago. Yeah, and it was talking about um, it was talking about specifically about it was about autoimmune diseases and the placenta. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it was actually I think it was about the placenta, but then it took yeah. this detour yeah. uh, down the road of autoimmune diseases. <laughs> and they said that they, that there is a there is a uh, a very like strongly held um, theory in the scientific community that autoimmune diseases, uh, autoimmune conditions as a whole category of disease is a is an is a an evolutionary trait mm-hmm. and and it, and it is the reason why it's it's like it's something crazy like 75 or 90 percent so, yeah, crazy number a crazy proportion of autoimmune conditions are are are, are experienced females. By, by females and yeah. that it's an evolutionary can thing where because because during pregnancy your auto, your your immune system is uh, is is worse is worsened um, as a result of of like the the relationship between the fetus and the placenta and like how it's, it's drawing the- drawing from the body and that and that it's like it's almost like a it's like building a a a, a more active immune system so that when mm-hmm. you get pregnant 
you when you come down, you just come down to a normal level of an immune system. It's because the placenta shares DNA with the, with the male. And so because the, the, your body wants to fight off anything that doesn't have your DNA in, in your mm-hmm. body during pregnancy, your body lowers your immune system so right. that immune response isn't as intense. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, I, I'm guessing it's not unsimilar to like, uh, like an organ transplant, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. you're, you have this foreign body totally yeah. in, in yeah. your body and your body goes, well, this isn't mine. So fucking attack it. Get rid of it. I just remember yeah. listening to that and going, holy shit. Like, kind of mind blowing. Some yeah. crazy, yeah. like some crazy, so, like some crazy evolutionary stuff that then, that then gives you all of these issues that people yeah. thought immune issues deal with like you know like ranging from any like it seems like any anything Mm -hmm. like autoimmune conditions which is not people in a thousand different ways not that crazy of a theory is that maybe we don't know that much about the immune system because 90 percent of people with um immune diseases are are women and we don't study women we just don't study (laughs) women it's actually i was literally gonna say that yeah Yeah. Yeah. we do study women in barbie world right they do but barbie Um, world but but in the real world barbie world isn't here world now that's right yes that's it. Yeah. Um, Sorry for that commercial so break. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine, <laughs> no, it's a can good you point. If, if that's how we add ads to the show, is just like mention the <laughs> fucking movie. Um, Tara, um, when you uh, when you received the diagnosis, um, what was that experience like for you? What, was it was there a sense of relief because now you have an answer, or or was it like ah oh, fuck? Like I I just was hoping. This would be some, some sort of like, you know, temporary face exhaustion that's been lasting for three years and was going to change out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't we all hope for that? But yeah, I for sure experienced relief immediately once someone knew because it was so long of un- mm-hmm. unknown and no answers. And it was really affecting my life in major ways and really hard to be social and work and live and at the time we were adopting and I was like how am I going to be a parent like our son wasn't with us at the time but I was like how all these dreams and hopes I have for my life how am I going to do this so there was a lot of relief that someone knew and it was believed and understood and I even am close to a very like major medical center thankfully so I could get treatment so immediately they were like yep here's how you get treatment here's Mm. the plan for you and I love a good plan I'm super controlling so the plan was very comforting but the hearing that it was lifelong. There was no cure. And also every, I learned over time, every appointment got more and more clear that it's like, we experiment a lot to see what's mm. going to work for you. So it initially felt very like freeing. Mm-hmm. And then there was also a lot of grief in kind of that, but in the span of time when I was, uh, I was getting IV treatments for a year and a half and I had surgery and there was quite a few things happening. I was really just focused on that and felt a lot more hopeful because I felt like I was being taken care of and there was comfort in that and something was moving forward. Mm. It was more after that, that I started to be able to like kind of grieve how my life had changed and the things that I had to think about daily now in order to thrive and, and live the way I wanted to live took a long time to kind of come back from. And, Mm. and then I started to experience some shame too around like how to I have to say no when my body has limits and it wasn't something I was used to before. Mm. Is that something that you struggled with in terms of like where you actually kind of got yourself in some hot water because you 
because that, that, because it's really challenging to say no. Like it's really mm -hmm. like, I, 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 there's plenty of situations where I, where I go, I'm not going to do that. And then all of, and then when actually like I'm faced with the decision to like do the thing or not do the thing, I go, yeah, right. I'll, do it. I'll do it. Um, did that, did that come up for you? For sure. Yeah. I am like what I call a like probably recovering people pleaser with a lot of therapy mm -hmm. and trying to be like, no, I can say no and it's okay. And, but I pretty much could, if I need to, I'll ignore what my body needs in order to like help someone or to do something that I really want to do. And that's not a really healthy boundary. And I don't ever like saying no to people. So it was definitely hard. It was hard being symptomatic, but I felt like I had, I just couldn't. And then somewhat getting better. I was like, I had to navigate a new kind of reality. Mm -hmm. Um, Tara, I'm really curious about the adoption process and, I, yeah. I was wondering if they like, is there any sort of like health component to uh, adopting? Yeah, there is. So we were adopting internationally and we were approved within the province, but every year you do a home study update. And so it was required of me to send in information from my doctor to say that I was able to still parent and that people who are treated with mycenae and stable and whatever can, it can parent. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it definitely, there's, I interestingly, internationally, there's more of a stigma around mental health than there is around physical health. Mm. So it's harder if you have a mental health diagnosis, to be really honest, just because there is such a, you know, we, we experience it here too. There is a stigma around mental health mm -hmm. and mental health conditions. And um, we have a different understanding of it, but there's mm. some cultures definitely look at it differently. Uh, and, but I was able with doctor's notes and, um, because it was South Africa too, they have a, a similar medical system. They have a really good medical system. So they were able to understand and, mm. and clear us for that. But yeah, it was a little scary there mm -hmm. for a bit. No doubt. No what doubt. does, like, once you receive a diagnosis for a rare autoimmune disorder, mm -hmm. what does the, um, you know, like, who do you get handed off to? Uh, what's like, what's the specialist that you end up, uh, you know, that ends up following you and, and, and what is like in your case, what was the recommendation? What were you prescribed? Like, how, how, you know, did they give you a sense of like, sure. yeah, we can treat this or, or were they like, oh, it's kind of like, we're just throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> a bit of both for sure. It's a neuromuscular specialist. So someone who also deals with uh, diseases like ALS and those kind of things, um, MS, like that kind of thing. It depends on your symptoms, but, uh, he, the doctor that I have in Calgary is, a neuromuscular specialist and, and specializes in myasthenia, which is really interesting. So he was like very calm and very chill about it, which I appreciated and was like, yeah, we're going to figure this out, but we got to try a lot of different things. So they have a clear kind of course that immediately, um, rescue meds are uh, through IV it's called IVIG, and, um, it's used for a, a bunch of different things, but it's a blood product essentially. And I had to go in um, after that first hospital admission, every three weeks we discovered is when it would taper off. So it gives you a mm. whole boost of like the, oh, I can't remember what it is, but it basically repairs the receptors. It like, it gives me a whole influx to kind of make sure that I have enough receptors that my nerves and muscles can mm. talk to each other. And then mm. it would taper off. Like Lance so I would Armstrong. Go <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you were saying it and I was I, in my head. The first thing I thought yeah. was like, hey, I wonder if that would be considered like a, um, like a uh, blood doping. Yeah, yeah, or like, or like, like. I mean, oh, the, wor the word I was looking for was a performance enhancer. Um, like yeah. in sports, like if <laughs> if if you know, if someone like Lance, I mean, he'd probably operate on it. Um, 
but it's but I but I guess it's it's specifically helping you in in the sense of the receptors that aren't properly working. So if like say someone like myself did it, I wonder what the you know would I just be like like Jack and like <laughs> go Super Saiyan at the gym or what's the, like like how did you feel when you got it? Did you feel like like Red Bull gives you wings for real? Yeah, like it's really during it, it, there's a ton of nausea and side effects. So like massive migraines and uh, nausea, super fun for that week. And then after that week, after going, because it's a couple hours every day for five days is what I needed every three weeks. So every three weeks I would go in to day medicine to do that. So yes, after that week, I would be like, I feel like I got my superpower juice and here Mm. I go, watch out, I can do all the things. And then it would taper off and you'd start to feel the symptoms coming back on Mm. and be tired and whatever. But I don't know if it's that much of an enhancer other than it just brought me back to normal. Mm. Right, (laughs) right, right. That's a huge, that's a huge (laughs) burden. Like that's a, that's a, you know, every two weeks. So you basically got like two weeks of free time and then you've got a, then you've got a a week of treatment. And then yeah. to yeah. like, that's a lot. Like, was that how, Yeah. What, I, I, and I guess, you know, you, I know that you had this sense of relief and you had been dealing with, it had been, it had been so shitty for the three years prior. Like, did you, did you even look at that as like a burden or was it all just like, okay, this is the, this is, this is just what I need to be, to like treat myself. Yeah. For the first little while it was amazing. And then I did it for a year and a half and I had a surgery to remove my thymus. So it was taxing. Like it was taxing after a while and it made it really hard to work and like plan and stuff like that. So it just, it felt like it was such a gift that we have medical care like this and that I could be okay. And in the meantime, I was hopeful that I was on immunosuppressants and I was trying to figure out what dosage I needed. And it takes a while for those to build in your system. So I knew I was kind of working towards going off of the IV treatments, but it doesn't, it became actually quite traumatic for me afterwards. So I, I started to feel a lot of panic and anxiety about being trapped there and sitting there and not feeling like there was a lot I could do to get off of them after a while. But mm-hmm. once I had my thymus removed and it appeared like my immune suppressants were working, I was stable enough to start spacing them out and then go off of them. It doesn't mean I won't need them again in my life potentially because I'm just in medical remission. I'm not in full remission. So we don't, it can come and go and you're supposed to live very like chill life, not too excited, not too low. And that's not real, but (laughs) I try. (laughs) What's a thymus? Yeah. What's the, what's the thymus? Oh yeah. Okay. So it's in the middle of your chest and um, most of us, it just develops as a child as your immune system develops and then you don't need it anymore as an adult. So it's just like a organ that just is kind of in there. And they think with people with myasthenia that it, starts to just like kick into gear something makes oh, it kick into wow. gear and that's what's sending the signals to attack yourself but yeah. like your body to attack itself so, so. it looks I, I, like i'm looking at a picture right here it looks like it it, it rests almost like between your lungs right like yeah like right in the yeah. center dead center yeah crazy. Um, i've never heard of that before how do they um is it was it um just just thinking about like where it's located right underneath the breastbone under the sternum like, do they, is it a um, laparoscopic uh, procedure to get that out? And do they like sneakily kind of like go in from underneath the rib cage and slip it out? Or <laughs> how do they, how do they remove it? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's a couple of different ways. Mine, thankfully, was like video assisted, I think is what they call it. So it, it was like right near my armpits. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, right, honestly, okay. they came in yeah. through the side and kind of like pulled it out that way. But uh, while you're in, because I didn't have a tumor, lots of people uh, with myasthenia can have tumors on their thymus. And then you're required to have like a full sternotomy and open chest surgery. Oh, so wow. if wow. they if they couldn't pull it out that way while I was in surgery, they would have had to flip it to that. So I was definitely <sighs> hoping to not have that outcome when I woke Whoa. up. So and, <laughs> how far into your, um, your like journey with myasthenia after diagnosis, did you get the thymus removed? I think it was like almost a year later. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. not, you didn't it was like, pretty quick. You didn't wait around. Yeah. And so the no, goal, they really the, hoped. And, the, and so the goal of that would be, okay, so if this thing is, is like, it is the culprit in terms of, you know, c- kind of the, you know, the, the catalyst that's making all these symptoms happen, we're going to take that out. Mm-hmm. The immune system is going to hopefully kind of like return to its normal function and then the symptoms will disappear. But you, but you still, but you said you still need some, uh, some of yeah. the treatments. So because I'm, uh, you know, at the time I was like 28, I think when I had the surgery. So, um, they hope what happens is a third of people from the research, it does nothing for a third of people from the research. It shows that you can go on less medicine and then a third, um, it sets you into remission so that the hope is remission. The hope is less medicine. Obviously if it does nothing, that sucks, but, um, you try it. And then there's also oddly like a 20% chance every five years to go into remission. So because I'm young, they were suggesting huh. like, it's just, it's a good, there's good odds that it could still help you long-term and you can recover easily. You're stable enough to have a surgery, all those kind of things. So they did it relatively quickly too. So I could stay on the IV treatments and then taper off after that. And now I'm just on an immunosuppressant. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you know, um, this would this like outside of outside of your experience and like your particular condition, do you know if removing that is a, is uh is something that they do in, in the case of other autoimmune conditions? Like, is it something that, that is it, is, is it something that they're looking at in, in for autoimmune conditions more broadly and, and going like, Oh, I wonder if it's the thymus. Yeah. I don't know. But from what I what understand, doctors, that's how do- cause that's how doctors. That's how they talk. Yeah, they theorize like that. I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I know it's there's a ton of research around it for myasthenia. I, I, from what they said, it sounded like because it helps develop your immune system as a child, I'm sure it would affect other autoimmune diseases mm. as well. Interesting. It's so crazy about the, 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 the 20% chance that every five years <laughs> that like it'll just right. go away. It reminds me, this is completely, I mean, it's related, but it's, um, it's pretty far out it's there. It's a stretch. Uh, <laughs> Uh, do you guys know this is just a fact that I wanted to share but do you, you didn't even did have to know? say preface that as soon as you started speaking I went here comes a stretch <laughs> yeah, it's funny though it's, we're stretching so, so something that's interesting is that did you guys know that polar bears okay. um, in Stretching the deep. late spring <laughs> polar bears in the late spring will mate and and there's a the, 20% chance that they'll just get an autoimmune disease <laughs> from doing it? No, not they that closely related. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but they, late, they mate in the late spring. Yes. And the embryo is formed in the female bear. And then the, moon is an and then the pregnancy is essentially put on pause all summer long. Nothing happens to that embryo. It just sits there. Huh. And then the, the polar bear eats and eats and eats and eats. And as long as they get enough food by like September, October, or by the fall, the pregnancy starts. If oh. not, it, it finishes. I, 
I'm gonna it's need like this thing that. So the real the way that God, yeah, where, yeah, where's the connection? Honestly, I'll, honestly, I'll God, Brian. I'll tell you how this is how it connects. Fact, for this sure. is how it connects. Like, no doubt on the interesting nature of the this fact. Right. The, well, the, I, I was going to say so that fascinating. I, I really tried to listen to you there, but I can't hear <laughs> a fucking thing about nature unless it's coming from David Attenborough. David Attenborough. Yeah, sorry, and I'm so sorry. if you could just tell I'm it sorry. again, but do your best David Attenborough impression, I would be, that would be amazing. I could really try, but I would not do uh, justice <laughs> to you could Sir really David. Try. Could you try to make the actual connection to what we were talking about? Uh, yeah, 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 I could try. Yeah. Maybe try so, that first. So the thing that I was thinking that. is that like, like the, that, that this thing is happening in your body and it just goes on, po- basically like yeah. there's a period of time that just kind of goes by yeah. and then this thing May or may not happen yeah. after this certain amount of time. Yeah. Definition and, stretch, and that's where I was like, "Huh, that kind of reminds me of this is how the ADHD brain works." It's like <laughs> you make this like connection. I, that's, I mean, maybe a connection. Yeah, and you just think of this thing, and I just figured it would be better that I shared this with you and participated in the conversation yeah. rather than sitting here for five minutes thinking about polar bears and not paying attention to any of you. Yeah. Well, oh, well it's, that's it's very considerate of you. It's, it's a lot. I, I appreciate that a lot more than I appreciate Taylor looking at his fucking Garmin or whatever and going, oh, yeah, some new, new jo- news about Trump in the middle of the fucking recording. <laughs> he does do that. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Just back to the the, rem- the removal of the uh, the thymus, right? Um, when you after that process, like what was when you woke up? Were you like, I feel fucking great, or you know, like how 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 much did that change your your situation? Like like it, it, and and I and like immediately. What group were you in mm. of the thirty oh. percent? Not of the mm. polar bears. It takes a long time to know, honestly. So mm. there, this is the part, like I could tell you how I felt when I woke up from surgery, but to know if it did anything really requires me to go off medicine. Uh. And so I was able to go off the IV treatments, which shows that for sure I reduced the treatment from the surgery, but we had to wait a while. It had to be recovered enough to start tapering off of those. And then I was also on another med that was like to control symptoms. So I went off of both of those. And then stayed on the immune suppressant for quite a while. And I felt like in that time when I was just on the immune suppressant, like free, I could live my life. Nobody had to know that I was sick. I just needed like a little break from it. I, I just didn't want to be a sick person (laughs) for a while. Yeah. And so I just kind of ignored it for a bit, honestly. And I probably just tried, my doctor was like, we're going to wait a while so you can just live. And that's what I did. Mm. I just really felt like I had been given sort of like it's such a tension in it for me. I have a lot of grief around how my life looked later. And then I also feel a lot of gratitude because I had lost my voice. Being able to speak again and kind of live freely. I just really didn't want to lose that feeling Mm. of this was so incredible. I want to do something with my voice again. And knowing what it was like to not be able to like talk to my friends, go for dinner, yeah. like do my work. I just lost so much in my life, but I was like, I can't, 
imagine not using this well. Mm. So I could live on just being an, on an immunosuppressant and that felt a lot more freeing. Yeah. I, uh, the one, um, <clears throat> one thing that you said there that just kind of sparked a thought. Um, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, uh, with, with this, there's a new medication that came out for people living with cystic fibrosis called Trikafta. And it's mm-hmm. like, it basically, I mean, it, 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 it's a, it's a game changing medication that, um, that for some people that, that have been taking it, it, it almost like, it almost makes it feel as though you, you just don't have CF anymore, which is so mm-hmm. fucking crazy. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that I've noticed personally for myself in taking this medication that is that it, um, I mean, I've lived 35 years of my life with this, or I guess like before taking Trikafta, 33 years of my life with knowing nothing but living with CF. And and it very much did mm-hmm. change the way that I, I approach every single day and the way that I view my life and the decisions that I made and and then all of a sudden this medication comes in and it like it almost like plucks CF like out of my out of my periphery out of out of my out of the back of my mind it's not, it's like it's not it's or, or at the out of the front of my mind rather mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I'm I'm dealing with like almost a uh this very unexpected identity crisis where I'm oh, going really? who the fuck am I now like this is this is so this is so wild. And so when I, when I hear about your situation and your experience, it's almost the inverse, right? Like yeah. you've lived, mm-hmm. you've lived 20 some odd years of this life that you knew to be your regular life. And then you get your wisdom teeth out and then all of a sudden things start to shift. And then you get diagnosed yeah. with a new autoimmune, rare autoimmune disease. And so I can imagine that there is a bit of like an identity shift, an identity crisis, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, if totally. if that is if that was the case, okay, great. So, what? How did you how did you approach that identity shift? And what were the things that you sort of struggled with in that? Like, how did it? How did you view your life post diagnosis and and trying to like grapple with this new identity? Mm. Yeah, that's. A, I can totally relate to what you're saying. I I know what you mean for sure. I think for me, I didn't like I lived for a bit and then I started to really feel that identity shift of like, now what? Who am I now? What does this look like? And so much of my life had to be adjusted. So every time I did something, I felt like I was bumping into something else where I was like, okay, I have to move. I'm not as strong as I used to be. So I have to move the laundry detergent closer and in a different way, or I can't carry down the laundry down my stairs. And there was so many things that it, I have to work differently. I, I'm not sure I could go back to working in an office because I can't, like when I talk all day, it's exhausting and my jaw hurts. So I had to figure out all, it felt like every decision, like you said, was different. And I really struggled to ask for help. And I was forced to for a while. And I kind of thought, probably naively, oh, I won't have to do that as much anymore. And it was just now asking for help in different ways and figuring out what I really do need and when to say no. And also to like, there is kind of this assumption because I got a lot of my life back and I can live and look like I'm healthy. I should be grateful. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of anger and shame and frustration in now having this and how, how, what it's taken from my life and what it continues to sometimes take away from me. Like, Sometimes I couldn't go 
There are times when I can't go to a family gathering because it's just too much after Mm. the week I've had, or I have to make plans and adjustments. Or my son is like, he was, you know, very healthy boy. He was like 30 pounds when we adopted him. And I had to sit on the floor a lot more. I couldn't always like carry him around. Mm. And those are disappointing things. And I would worry about like, when he gets bigger, how am I going to lift him out of the, this crib? Like he's already really heavy. And so it was, it continues to be these things that I bump into of trying to make adjustments. And I've had to learn to separate my illness from me. It's not yeah. me choosing those things yeah. um, to not do yeah. things, but I would feel bad about them. Even when I needed to ask my husband, who's like, of course, willing to help at just being like, I need you to make dinner tonight. Like I'm exhausted. And I, I can't, I physically have to sit here and it's not me being lazy, but it can feel like I can spin that narrative pretty quickly in my head yeah. into shame. And you feel like, so you, like, I, do you, and, and in the, those situations, there's almost this, um, and not to like put this on you, but like, I, 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 I can relate to that in that there's almost this need to justify, like, yes. because you, because you almost feel like, oh, but if I, like, I feel this way, I'm fucking exhausted. I don't have it in me to make dinner tonight. And I need to ask for the support, but also like, I, I feel like I really need to like explain myself mm-hmm. because I don't want them to think that I'm fucking using my illness as a crutch mm-hmm. or, you know, like there's this whole mental fuckery where yes. it's like, it, which just yeah. makes it, it's so annoying to, mm-hmm. to go through that song and dance with yourself, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, whereas there's, I mean, there's obviously much healthier and easier ways to go about that, that narrative in your, in your mind. Um, but in, in terms of like your, your relationship with your husband and, and again, coming back to this notion of like, you had this and and with the two of you, I mean, high school sweethearts, you guys were together for so long. And then all of a sudden this thing comes into your lives and almost like, you know, like wedged itself between you. It's, it's this thing that, that you both have to deal with, even though you, you are the Mm -hmm. one who who is, who is physically dealing with this. He, he is a part of that as well. How, For sure. how, what kind of like, what did that look like in terms of, of how it had an effect, if any, on your relationship? Yeah, that's a really great question. It did definitely have a significant effect. And one of the hard parts I think of being the one with the illness is like, I can't always support him. Yeah. He's had to look externally for other people to help support him. And we have really good friends and we're really close with both our moms. And so we have really good supports for when he needs a break or when it was in the thick of things, when it was really hard and he had to do a lot more, obviously to take care of me and our house and our life and even finances for us. Like he, he is our breadwinner for sure. Um, I, I do consulting work, but it's flexible so I can rest and take care of the things I need to take care of. So he's always been very supportive. One of the things that was helpful, I've, I have some anxiety, so I'm like highly controlling. So as things start to feel like a flare up or I'm, I'm asking for a lot of help and like needing to justify, I definitely try to control him and try to justify all those things. So one of the things that's been really helpful for us is, um, my therapist suggested naming my disease and giving it like even a silly Mm. name. And so then I can just say it's Francis and it's not me. And I don't have to explain everything. And mostly I call her fucking Francis because it's much more appropriate of what it feels like is happening to me when I'm like, fucking Francis, I can't do this thing today. Can you help me with this? So that's been something that makes us laugh. And then we both are kind of like, we know the code of like, okay, that's what mm. it's about. It's not about me choosing not to show up for something like a family thing or take our kids somewhere or whatever. It's like, this is a need and I can identify it. And then he knows too. And he can even 
grieve the fact that sometimes I can't yeah, do things. Yeah. But Does, did, was was it Francis because um, there was a Francis one day that just just wronged you? No, I wish I, no, I just came up with the character and it was just a funny name to me and it just made me laugh, honestly. And it went with fuck and I like that. So it's funny uh, yeah. how you can feel that you, uh, how you can, how you've even, you know, even with living with CF forever and, 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 you know, with you, Tara, with living with, with, with this for quite a long time and, and, and feeling like the need to justify, like in comparison to like when I got hit by a car and I was broken, it was mm. like, it's like, visually obvious that I am broken. And so mm -hmm. like, so that didn't, so like that, that feeling never really, I never really had that feeling mm -hmm. because I needed to be taken care of. You're actually like, the opposite. Like you milked it. For I, had to a be, while. I, I had to be taken care of for like, you know, like a good month, a good like two months where I like really could, I couldn't, you know, for two I, months when he really couldn't. And then like, like two really, weeks when he was like, yeah, just like kind of like, really ah, couldn't so like nice. do anything. Like I, I just, I, and just then all that time you had to keep it up to make sure you got that big payout. You know what I mean? <laughs> I never faked anything. But then, but then in contrast to that, I could, I might be sick for four days yeah. with like a flu mm -hmm. type of thing. And, and I will feel that way. Like I will start to feel that way. Like on the second or third day of being sick. Start to feel like, like almost like you have to justify it. Starting to feel like I need to like make sure that you know that like remember. Oh, don't worry, dude. When you're feeling sick, we know. Yeah, It is. It's obvious. You make it very obvious. I can't imagine how obvious it is for Kyla. Every two seconds. It's like that. Common theme with men. Yeah, it is. Yeah, dude, I've never seen the man cold so aggressive the way that Taylor is. I'm a tummy ache survivor. Oh, a tummy ache survivor. Tara, I'm always, I'm always looking for a chance to talk about therapy. So, I'm curious, like, what can you can you give us like a high level overview of what your therapy experience has been like? Yeah, for sure. I actually used to work at a counseling center years ago. So I am obsessed with therapy. I think it's for mm. everybody if you could afford it. I, it's so, I, sh I hope it's not always a luxury for people. Um, but I found a really amazing therapist who specializes in chronic illness. And so that has been really, really helpful to me to have someone who understands and she herself has a bit of a story around um, chronic pain specifically. So it's been great. Like she's she's looked at my life and my story and has reminded me so many times that it's okay to feel the way that I feel and validate my feelings. And they're very complex and the grief that I'm experiencing is normal. And so we work through a lot of those things and she's also really practical, which I've really appreciated. So I do a lot around, like I mentioned, I work out, I worked on sleep with her because I struggle with anxiety at night. So then we talked a lot about like processes for how to go to bed better and sleep better because sleep is also really important obviously for any illness mm -hmm. and then just we're really working out like this mindset around how do I talk about the disease and separate it from my identity and how do I create some good healthy boundaries in my relationships where I don't have to feel I don't have to feel shame about setting mm -hmm. a boundary or saying no and it's not even like people are that intrusive it's just I want to say yes to everything and I can't always I feel so mm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah before um did you did you go to therapy before you got diagnosed or was this sort of like after did you start afterwards? Um, that's a good question. I had been to therapy as a child. I'm a child of divorce. So that and then I worked at a counseling center for a while. So I felt like I got some free mm. therapy while I was there. <sighs> and then, yeah, this was the major. I had seen someone else uh, around some anxiety stuff. And then this was kind of I specifically sought her out. I actually 
was uh, going to go off, is trying to go off my immune suppressants. And that's the only mm-hmm. way to find out if I'm in remission. And I felt a lot of panic and a lot of mm-hmm. like, just honestly, like panic about even going to the hospital, going off them, meaning that I might have to go on IV medicine. And so I was trying to navigate how I could do that really well. And that's when I actually sought help because mm-hmm. I was like, I just, I can't even have this conversation with my doctors without feeling like it's going to bring me all back to where I was. There's just mm-hmm. so, it, there's no way to know without going off of it, but then you, your symptoms will develop. You'll know them sooner, mm-hmm. but to be back on immunosuppressants takes months mm-hmm. at a time. Right. And now, right. you know, I'm a mom and I'm running a business and I've had the freedom of living <laughs> my life. So I, I was terrified to do mm-hmm. that. And yeah. Yeah. so I had to work through that as well. In, in terms of your, like uh, your therapy, routine do you do you still go regular reg, i hate the word regularly you do you hate that word more than myasthenia <laughs> yeah yeah which one <laughs> regularly uh, <laughs> regularly <laughs> do you go regularly <laughs> you say rega rega do you go regular regular you sound, like a, disc, you sound like a discord mod when you say it <laughs> regularly regularly <laughs> i do i've spaced it out a little bit um just because i've run out of benefits um, but Amen. yeah, I do go as I need it. And, um, I've worked, like I've had seen her for over a year and we worked through a bunch of those things. And so I was feeling a lot more confident. I did go off the meds for a little while, but we just went on a lower dose, which was a better plan. And I started to notice some choking. So I went back on them and I've been mm-hmm. okay since then. So Great. what, what would you say is the biggest thing that myasthenia gravis has taken away from you? Oh, the biggest thing. I think it's some dreams probably around just my career and my family. I made the choice not to biologically have children um, just because it is such a, it can happen. The path to it was just so overwhelming to me and I couldn't imagine my body taking on more mm. and going through, it's a, it's a risk, it's a high risk pregnancy. If you do choose to do that, lots of people do and have healthy babies. I just was like, I can't imagine trying to do that in having a pregnancy with all these unknowns of, mm. and you have to go off meds. And then afterwards to then have a baby and not know how I'm going to feel. I just, it, it felt so, so overwhelming. So the loss of that dream. And then sometimes my career also, it just feels a little bit like, oh, I would love to do those things. I don't know how I would manage that fully. So mm. Those are probably the two biggest things. I would say the dream around children. That was the hardest conversation I probably had to have with my husband mm. to make that choice. And it was my choice to be cleared. There are people that do have babies with myasthenia. I just chose not to. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? I think like I said, um, my voice, like the value of my voice and taking care of myself and allowing myself to have the needs that I do. Like I'm allowed to have needs and ask for them and I can communicate that and I can meet them. And it's been really, really empowering. There are so many things I wouldn't have said yes to before, just out of fear and anxiety and what would people think? And now I'm a lot more like, like the fact that I said yes to being on air on a podcast or even saying yes to this. Like, I don't like being in front of cameras. I don't like being in front of things. I would prefer to be behind the scenes always. And since being diagnosed, that's definitely something that I was like, no, I can, I should share the story. I can use my voice for good. And I want other people to feel empowered to do that as well. Mm. Well, I think you did a fantastic job of that today. And um, 
on behalf of myself, the guys, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for for taking time into your schedule to sit down with us and and to um, you know be vulnerable and share your experience, the the experiences that you've been through um, in in navigating this rare and and very bizarre um, illness. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely um, it's definitely not an easy thing to to manage and go through in the first place so to put yourself on blast and on a podcast for thousands <laughs> of people to tune into is, is we really um we really commend you for that so thank mm-hmm. you so much for 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 being on the show and this was this um, has been a real treat yeah thank you so much for having me this is amazing i'm a big fan of you guys i love watching and listening so yeah Thank you. It was really nice to learn about my senior Kravis. Hey, oh, yo, whoa. nailed did it. Did you get nailed it? it? Fucking, come on. Right here. Stop talking. He did your regular. Regularly. And, <laughs> and polar. He said it so polar regular. Polar. He read it. Regular said it. I regularly said it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.